0: i love to tell the story of unseen things above of jesus and his glory of jesus and his love i love to tell the story good evening it's good to see all of you here tonight good to be here with you again So did you read this story that happened this summer, June 12th, 2021? A lobster diver in Cape Cod says a humpback whale scooped him up and spat him out. It's a true story. (laughs) That's not a, that's not a made up thing. That's on NPR. I guess we can sort of trust that. Um, The article says in brief, a commercial lobster diver says he escaped relatively unscathed after nearly being swallowed by a humpback whale in a biblical-sounding encounter that whale experts describe as rare but plausible. Michael Packard, 56 years old, said in local interviews and on social media that he was diving off the coast of Provincetown, Massachusetts on Friday morning when the whale suddenly scooped him up. He says, I was in his closed mouth for about 30 to 40 seconds before he rose to the surface and spit me out. Packard later wrote on Facebook, quote, I am very bruised, bruised up, but have no broken bones. So uh, that's a rare and, and brief encounter with a man uh, and a whale. Uh, Mr. Packard was in the, the, the whale's mouth while he was wearing scuba gear, being a modern story from this summer. Um, and humpback whales, if you know about them, and I don't really know a lot about them, but apparently they have a very small esophagus. They eat small fish. And so for a man to be in there in his mouth, he wasn't really able to be swallowed. Uh, so the, the whale was upset about that and came up and shook his head and he flew out. And uh, he was, of course, diving with fellow divers who were able to save him and help him. And he only he only hurt his knee. So... You might imagine we're going to look at the book of Jonah. So please turn with me to the book of Jonah. In my Bible, that's only three pages. It's four chapters. It's a short book. But uh, let's kind of think about a bit of a summary of Jonah, and then we'll dive into some details about the book. You know, so of course, that story we just read in the news relates a little bit to what we read here. A man being swallowed by a giant sea creature. Uh, But of course in Jonah, uh, this is not a fishing accident, it was a miracle. So let's take a closer look at this. We could look at those, basically those four chapters as a four-part, of an outline of the book. You know, Jonah was a prophet, a man of God, and God told him to deliver a warning message to the foreign city of Nineveh, part of the Assyrian Empire. He charged Jonah to travel there and to warn the people Uh, that Nineveh needed to repent of their evil ways lest they be destroyed. Of course, Jonah, as a Hebrew man, a resident of Israel, he recognized Nineveh as their enemy, a wicked nation, an enemy of Israel. So rather than Jonah trusting God and obeying God, he uses his own judgment and sees that helping the enemy, that's a bad idea. So instead of Traveling to Nineveh, as the Lord had said, Jonah catches a ship going as far as possible away from Nineveh, the other way to Tarshish. And you can even look on a map how this was, you know, somewhere around Jerusalem or whatever. It's probably where uh, Jonah had started, roughly. And instead of going to, to Nineveh, way up in the east, the northeast, 500 miles away, big the big trip, he goes the other way, to the west. It's not super clear exactly where Tarshish is referring to. It could be somewhere in Greece or or way over in Spain. Uh, or it could just be an expression like maybe we'd say, well, I'm going to Timbuktu, which is actually a place, but maybe we're just saying, I'm going out of here real far away. Uh, so nevertheless, he did go onto the Mediterranean Sea in, in this story. And the point being opposite the direction that the Lord had told him to go. So in that culture, People in the world, you know, not, not the Israelites, but the Gentiles, all the people in the world, they believed that uh, gods were local to their territory. So each city or, or country considered that they had their own local deity, or maybe several or many. Uh, and although Jonah worshipped the only true living God, the one who created everything, Jehovah God, he seems to have bought into this notion that gods are local. Because he seemed to be reasoning that, well, if I get away from the land of God, the land of the people of Israel, then I can get away from God and get away from his oversight. So here in chapter 1 of our book, we have uh, Jonah being called by God, but he tries to escape the Lord by a sea voyage instead. But of course, that doesn't work. God is there. God is everywhere. God is here. And God makes himself known by bringing a storm onto this ship and onto the sea, a very major tempest. And the sailors are terrified, and they eventually realize and discover that the reason for all of this happening is due to Jonah and his disobedience. And Jonah instructs the sailors to throw him over, which is sort of a noble thing to say in light of everything. but Jonah's is kind of a, a bad guy in the story, as it's strange. Strangely, even though he's the the, uh, the prophet, but he tells them to throw him over so they could be saved from the storm. And they, but but they're good guys. They're like, well, we're not doing that. So they're like, we're going to try to get to the to get out of the storm. And they row and try to get out of there, try to get to land, but they're not able to. The storm even gets worse, and so they ultimately reluctantly throw him overboard, and then the storm is over. So while the storm is over for the the rest of them, uh, the Lord prepares a great fish for Jonah. Jonah is swallowed by this great giant sea creature, and after three days and three nights inside the beast, we we come to chapter 2, which is Jonah's prayer while he's in this great fish. And while Jonah's behavior to this point has been disappointing, this prayer is actually very good. Blessed be the poor in spirit, we might say. So a lot of times when we're at our lowest is when we have our, our closest connection to God. He trusts in God and seems to even be thankful to God in advance of his ultimate rescue out of the fish and the sea. There's a sense in which he was rescued by, by the fish from drowning. So God brings him back to dry land, seemingly in response to this repentant spirit that Jonah shows there in his prayer. So in chapter 3, it kind of starts over. The book begins with God charging Jonah to go and deliver this message to Nineveh to warn the people. In chapter 3, it again gives him this message, you know, do over, kind of. Go and do that. And this time, as you might expect, Jonah obeys and doesn't do the whole fleeing from God business again. And the surprising part is that these folks uh, from Nineveh, the enemies, these wicked people, they actually respond. They earnestly repent. And consequently, God relents from the judgment that he had planned for Nineveh. So unlike many of the prophets who seem to be crying out to the wind and having no effect, and in frustration, Jonah was actually successful in, in getting his hearers to repent. But as we go to chapter four, the last chapter in this book, Jonah is, uh, we see Jonah's disrespectful reaction to God's mercy on Nineveh. He was angry that God forgave these Ninevites, even though that's what he was told to do and he had a, a hand in that. Jonah wanted to avoid this whole thing because he knew that God would be merciful. Which, of course, is a good thing. But Jonah didn't see it that way. Not seeing the big picture. But Jonah was right. God is merciful. And God did relent from the judgment that was intended there for Nineveh. But yet, Jonah still tries to convince God to change his mind. You know, I'm going to die, I'm so upset about this, and this sort of thing. He tries to persuade God that this isn't a good thing. So Jonah goes and somewhere to oversee the city and just waits to see what will happen. In my mind, I, I think he's waiting and hoping that he will have convinced God and there will be rain, judgment, and fire down upon the city. But instead, God gives Jonah another lesson by raising up a, a plant while he's waiting there in the sun to shade him. It's kind of a nice thing. But then the next day he takes the plant away. So Jonah's very upset about that, kind of ridiculously so, over this plant. And God criticizes Jonah for being more concerned and having more pity for this plant than for all these people in the city. Because you remember, even though those people were enemies, there were kids there. He even talks about Those who don't know their right hand from their left. And even animals. So God cares about about all these these different ones. But hopefully that gets us up to speed on the general story of Jonah. And there's so many different facets that you can look at that story from. But I want to focus on God's compassion that we see in the book of Jonah. As I study through the book... God's mercy and patience and his compassion. just jump out at me. and I think that may be the core message if it's certainly one of the core messages of the book if not the main message of the book. So we'll look at a few examples of God having compassion in this in this this book. God had compassion on Jonah's traveling companions. So if we go back to chapter one, of course it all starts with Jonah, and his odd situation of being somewhat of the villain in this book. He's he's the one who's trying to run away from God. And because of his disobedience, that's why this storm comes. But it comes upon not just Jonah and all the people, also all the people he's traveling with, the sailors and the, the captain and all the people there on the ship. And these people who, you know, are not Israelites or anything, They're misguided in their idolatry, but yet they have at least the pious nature to to think to pray in this dangerous situation. Whereas Jonah, he's just a bump on a log down in the bottom of the ship sleeping. Jonah is supposed to be the man of God in this story. But it's the captain of the ship who goes down and and tells Jonah in verse 6 there, hey man, we're all praying. You should pray to your God that maybe we can be saved from this. And if you're careful as you read this, there's no response from Jonah then, oh, okay, I'm awake now. And then him praying to God. No, he's hiding from God. He's not gonna pray to God and he doesn't. So the men eventually discover the cause of the storm is due to Jonah's disobedience and fleeing from the Lord. And in verse 12 is where Jonah advises those sailors to throw him overboard. So the storm will stop, since the tempest is all because of him. But these idol-worshipping sailors were good men, and they tried to save Jonah's life. But it was no use, and the storm just got worse and worse. Then, next part of the story. Now, now get this part. This is is pretty cool, I think. These sailors, these idol-worshipping sailors... They prayed to the Lord, and if your Bible has Lord in all capital letters, that's the the personal name of God, the God of Israel, the God we worship, Jehovah or Yahweh, the God of Israel, however you want to describe that. And then we, we see there in verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you." So these, the, through this, this, these events, these idol worshippers are now worshipping the true God and call, calling out to him. So we might think, you know, Jonah, you're not letting your light shine here. Uh, these pagan idol worshipping guys are praying to God and you're just not. So the next verse, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows." Again, the the name of the Lord is used here as well. So, so the sea ceased from its raging. These men were about to be killed in this fierce storm. And if we go back uh, and look at the fear that's mentioned in in this text, verse 5, it says that they were afraid and called out to their gods, their idols. In verse 10, as the storm gets worse, they were exceedingly afraid. But in verse 16, after the storm ceased, so now there's no longer any present danger, they feared the Lord and worshipped him. A good example. And we see God having been gracious to these traveling companions of Jonah. And in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, where Jonah is actually criticizing God. Oh, I I didn't want to go help these people because I know you're merciful and all this. Jonah's saying it in a bad way, but they're good words and they truly describe our God. God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So as we think of God's compassion, that's That's where it's all wrapped up. Jonah meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So God's compassion on Jonah's enemies. That's the whole purpose of Jonah's mission is to go to Nineveh and to to tell them to repent. In chapter 3, after Jonah is released from the fish and the sea, the storm and everything, uh, he goes and preaches the Lord's warning to Nineveh that God had told him to do in the beginning. And we see a tremendous response of repentance from the people and the king. Jonah 3, verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And if you read on verses 6 through 8, talk about the the king uh, leading, leading in this effort for this to be a decree for this this activity to go about everyone should be uh, wearing sackcloth and fasting these are signs of mourning and repentance for their sin they recognize that jonah's message from the lord was true that they had been full of sin and they had calamity coming upon them and they're changing their ways and the reason they're doing that they're hoping that god would change his mind from the calamity that had been planned for the city. And verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So again, Jonah 4 verse 2, God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. But what about God's compassion on Jonah? Jonah's the man of God, but he's also kind of a disaster, isn't he? So at the beginning of the book, he's given this charge to, 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 uh, to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish away from away from the presence of the Lord. The book starts out with Jonah's blatant rebellion against God. Jonah naively thinks he can run away from God and hide from him. Of course he is wrong. God sends the storm. But after all the drama on the ship with the sailors, God also sends a great fish. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. Jonah 1.17. So at first glance, it might seem that sort of going from bad to worse, much worse, to progress from being in a a very bad storm to then being eaten by a giant sea monster. Is it compassion to be swallowed by a great fish? Well, we need to consider that Jonah had just disobeyed God. Uh, And really, I think it's significant that it's a direct word from God to Jonah. Jonah is disobeying that. Rather than death, as he should expect. Jonah's life is preserved in the fish. So again our verse from Jonah 4 2, God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And even within the uh, within the fish then, right? Chapter 2, is all about Jonah's prayer. So God already saved Jonah, so to speak. There was the storm, and then he was in the water, he's drowning, and he's saved through this fish. Maybe not the way we'd want to be saved, probably pretty unpleasant inside the stomach of a fish, but nevertheless, there you go. So while Jonah is a disappointing character in this book, his prayer is very good. It's a good model for us. We'll read some parts of it here. Jonah 2, 1 through 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah finally prays to God. We see all the times where he wasn't on the ship and He's running away from God, and all these these issues that we've looked at with Jonah. He's a pretty stubborn guy. Perhaps we can relate at least a little. Maybe maybe he's pretty over the top, but there are times where we have our moments as well. We're looking at another part of his prayer, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Again, he's he's having uh, drowning, and in in the and in the fish saves him. He's having this prayer about remembering how his life was fainting away and, and God saved him. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed and I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And with, this, these, with these words, then, we go to the next verse where the Lord spoke to the fish, which is amazing in itself. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Not a very dignified way to get back on land, but probably thankful to be alive. And God gave Jonah a second chance. Haven't we all had second chances in our lives and relationships with God, certainly with sin and forgiveness? So, of course, Jonah goes on. The word came the second time to Jonah. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And he was successful. Now at the end of the book, Jonah still has issues with his lack of compassion on Nineveh. He didn't like that that, uh, that God had forgiven them and their repentance. So Jonah's story kind of continues. We don't really have the full ending to as he works things out with his life. He's kind of a mess at the end of the book. But as we've read before in Jonah 4.2, God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster." The very last verse of the book, Jonah 4.11, this is in the context of sort of arguing with, with Jonah about this plant and he's all concerned about the plant instead of the people. God says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So we see God showing compassion, and we see him trying to soften Jonah's heart as well. And it's left a little open-ended. We hope Jonah worked things out there. But what about God's compassion on us? You know, thinking about, about Jesus and his words, and he actually brought up some things about Jonah. In Luke eleven twenty nine, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And elaborating on that in Matthew 12, 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So this is, of course, a reference to what Jesus did in the cross and dying and rising from the dead for us and all of the spiritual benefits we have through that great sacrifice and victory. And we also see in uh, Luke 11.32, reference to Nineveh, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So, so even I think in this day, the, the people hearing this would, oh, Nineveh, those are the bad guys. Yeah, because they took you into captivity later and all this kind of stuff. But, but those guys repented from the message. And Jesus is there teaching them. How are they responding? They're they we don't want to listen to that guy. Yeah, but how do we respond? Of course, we need to, to follow Jesus as well. And then sometimes we call this the the gospel in, in a nutshell. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 is where Paul is, is teaching the Corinthians there. And he says, For I delivered to you As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. All going back to some of these echoes we see in Jonah. This is the gospel. This is the sign of Jonah. Jesus can calm the storm. Jesus has power over death. He died for you and for me. And so let's not be stubborn like Jonah. Let's be compassionate like God. And let's be humble and repent like Nineveh. So if there's anything you need to do to repent of, we encourage you to have a soft heart. If you need to obey the gospel and take advantage of these great blessings, this free gift we have through Christ, we encourage you to do that. If there's anything we can do to help you, to immerse you into Christ for the forgiveness of sins or to pray with you, we invite you to to do that as we sing this song together. Stand up. I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and his love